This podcast is brought to you by New Hope Baptist Church. For more information, visit the website newhope.net.au or follow us on social media. Have you ever gotten lost? I still remember as a young boy being in a very large department store and getting lost amongst all the tall racks of merchandise and then panicking because I couldn't see my parents. When Beth and I were overseas a couple of years ago, we hired a car for a few days and got very lost more than once, even with a GPS and maps and road signs, and none of which seemed to agree sometimes. When was the last time you got lost? Maybe you feel quite lost at the moment. Our current ISO restrictions can have us feeling more than just socially distanced. The uncertainty around Melbourne's five-step roadmap out of the lockdown, about our jobs, finance, education, uh, all the activities, where our world is at, is pushing buttons that test and impact our journey, our relationships, our marriages and families. We can all feel lost. You may find yourself in a tough place right now, or maybe for a while, that you have never quite been before. Or something is happening that is not what you expected at all. Or you might have taken a wrong turn, maybe recently, maybe a long time ago, and you can't find the way back or the way forward yet. Let's think about that. There is a chapter in the Bible, Luke chapter 15, that is known as the chapter of the three losts because it contains three stories that Jesus told of something or someone who got lost. They are all parables, which is what our new teaching series is focusing on. Stories to wake us up that point us to a future that with God can be different. This chapter in Luke 15 starts with Jesus surrounded by people who don't pretend that they have it all together who are looking for a way out, a way forward. Jesus had a reputation for spending his time with such people. And in verse 2, it's the religious leaders who are ridiculing him for it. Jesus replies by telling these three stories. The first is about a lost sheep, one in a flock of a hundred who does get found. The second is about a lost coin, one of ten, which does get found. The third is about two sons, both of whom are very lost, but in different ways. Listen to this third of the three lost stories being read to us now by Mark from Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went, hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to feed his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my Father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. 
So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the elder son was in a field. When he came to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called to one of his servants and asked him, what's going on? Your brother's come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The elder brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, come home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Both these guys are so lost in their own stuff. One takes off on his own, throwing off all restraints. The other stays put at home, but is trapped inside his own legalisms and blind spots. Remember, Jesus is responding to criticism by people just like that, who can't cope with the fact that Jesus hangs out with people that they can't accept. The father in the story gives us a picture of what God's love and grace is like, and it messes with our heads in a good way. Can God really be that good and that kind? It sounds too good to be true, but it is too good not to be true. And how fantastic is it that you and I can know that one and only true God who is just like that? The hymn Amazing Grace is so well known and loved because it celebrates the wonder of God's boundless commitment to us and his extraordinary offer of forgiveness and acceptance. Regardless of who we are, what we have done or not done, or where we start. In fact, God's grace is so amazing, it is already surrounding every one of us every day, even when we don't see it or forget it, supporting us, protecting us, surprising us, even if we will just give him the slightest chance to meet and connect with us. We see it in at least two big ideas about God's grace, that come through this story. One, that God is waiting for us. And two, that God is running to us. So first of all, God is waiting for us. The youngest son in the story was in such a hurry to get away. Isn't it good that the father was a lot more patient? This son said, gimme, gimme my inheritance now. Effectively saying to his dad, why don't you just drop dead? The father shows his love by giving his son the freedom to choose and to learn, to have the time to come to the end of his money and himself. And so he is prepared to divide up his property and see his son leave, not knowing when he might see him next. What a powerful picture of grace. 
Now, while this story is usually named for the prodigal son, a better title would be the parable of the waiting father. He didn't let what had happened stop him hanging out to see his son again. He was always on call. His door was always open. His phone was always on. We, of course, all break God's heart when we walk away, when in our pride and independence, we think that we can make it on our own and ignore our manufacturer's instructions or pick and choose the ones that suit us at the time. What if God stopped waiting for us, gave up on us, stopped loving us and just pushed pause? How blessed we are that God is not like that. You will remember 14-year-old William Callahan getting lost on Mount Disappointment earlier this year. For two days and freezing nights, we were all on tender hooks, waiting, hoping, praying that he would be found. And he was. And to think that God keeps waiting for us, no matter how lost we are or how long we are away from home. 38,000 Australians are reported missing each year. 98% of them are found. Sometimes relatives and friends wait for years. God does no less for each one of us. Which is amazing enough. How can we expect anything more of God? Well, guess what? Not only is he prepared to wait and be taken for granted in so many ways, as he sovereignly looks after us from a distance, but he also keeps things humming behind the scenes in the meantime. It's good of him, isn't it, to just keep our planet spinning at just the right speed, at just the right distance from the sun, at just the right angle, regardless of how we treat him and how we treat all that he has made. Still, he has built boundaries into how the creation works, and he has built common sense consequences into what results from our choices. And he does allow things to happen sometimes to get our attention, to remind us he is still there watching and waiting for us, to make a choice, to leave our pig pens behind or to turn around before we get to that desperate point. What about you? Are you waiting for God to deal with something at the moment before you face up to the ball that is in your court? Could he be more importantly waiting for you and I to get with his program and his timetable? Maybe that's what's holding things up. Well, that's the first thing that hits us between the eyes in this story about God's grace. He is willing to wait for us and he will keep waiting for us, although time will run out eventually one day. Why wait? The second thing that jumps out at us in this story is that God is running, running to us. I have the word ran underlined in my Bible in verse 21 of Luke chapter 15. The younger son, well, he had enough, didn't he? Finally, and he decides to head home. No doubt quite nervous about what sort of reception he's going to get. For in the culture of his time, he knew he could no longer expect to be called a son and be treated as a son. He had burnt his bridges big time by what he had done. If you are interested, and I expect some of you will be, there is someone who has lived and studied in the Middle East 
for decades, who has become famous for the cultural background he can give to the details of this very story. Uh, We don't have much time to get into it now, but if you Google his name, Kenneth Bailey, B-A-I-L-E-Y, and Prodigal Son, there are four 30-minute videos that add so, so much to our appreciation of what Jesus is sharing here. One of the things Kenneth Bailey also explains are the many fascinating parables between this story and the story of Jacob in Genesis, which so many of Jesus' hearers would have known very well. I encourage you to check out uh, what Kenneth Bailey has learnt. For a father to literally run to his lost son would never ordinarily have happened. He would have had to pick up his robe to run and be publicly humiliated by doing so, by how he looked. It would have been shocking. He would be seen as an out-of-control fool to do this. You just didn't run as an adult like this. Except the waiting father in the story Jesus told that day does exactly that. He had kept his eye on the horizon. And though his son was still a long way off, the father saw him and was so full of compassion for his child that he hitches up his robe. He doesn't care what the people watching might think. And he runs. He races to his son and he throws his arms around him. I reckon he probably almost would have bowled him over and he kisses him. And the son who didn't care about anyone else but himself, who bailed on his family, who effectively wished his father dead, who demanded his inheritance early, who broke all the rules, is greeted like this. Uh, This picture of God's grace is just right out of the box. No one has heard of such extravagantly sacrificial and selfless behaviour let alone towards someone who doesn't deserve a skerrick of it. The son hasn't even had a chance to say his speech about not being worthy, which he'd been practising the whole way home. And the son would have expected to pay back the money he had been given before his time and wasted before there was any hope of reconciliation with his father. This is more than amazing. The father didn't set conditions didn't pull out a record of wrongs. He didn't even keep one. He didn't first ask why. He didn't blame and shame. He didn't treat his son as a loser. He didn't condemn him. Anything but. The father so loves his son. He takes the initiative. He won't let anything stop him. He can't help himself. All he can see is his son. And he runs and he runs. This is a picture of what the grace of God looks like. We see something of this in David, King David's reunion with his son Absalom in 2 Samuel chapter 14, after some very painful family events. A couple chapters earlier, David has been confronted himself with his own very wrong behaviour, which led him to write uh, the famous Psalm 51. David had experienced himself the amazing, undeserved grace of God and proves it now by how much he understood that by showing similar grace to his own son. I think of President Sadat of Egypt making peace with Prime Minister Begin of Israel in 1978 and of the way that changed history, of Prime Minister Rabin of Israel making peace 
with PLO Chairman Arafat in 1993. I think of Queen Elizabeth shaking the hand of the past IRA leader, Martin McGuinness, involved in the murder of her uncle in 2012. Here, in Luke 15, such grace is all too much for the older brother in Jesus' story, who is lost in his own self-righteousness and blind as a bat to his own control issues. He is angry and he has a very big chip on his shoulder and he publicly insults his father by making his father come out to him and plead with him. And he is blind to his father's grace towards him already every day of his life. He just dumps on his brother, quite like the religious leaders have just been dumping on Jesus. Jesus tells this story to wake them and us up to grace, the amazing grace of God, which allows us to even refuse him, to turn our back on him, to go far, far away. And yet so amazingly to also come back to him, to return to him, to come home as if we had never left. This is why God came in the person of Jesus to this earth. He had been watching and waiting for his creation to come back to him for a very long time. He had been revealing himself, his love and his grace through all the events that we can read about in the Old Testament. And he had been doing this time and time and time again. Ultimately, the time came for him to come to this earth in a way we could see him for himself, to walk up the road to Jerusalem, ultimately, to die on a cross for us. And this story of the two lost sons is a summary of the life and teaching of Jesus. It is our story. It is everybody's story. And the story continues. We all have a choice to make and keep making. We don't know if the older son was able to swallow his pride in the end and get his eyes off himself and be glad to see someone else get blessed uh, outside his rules. God in his grace is waiting for each one of us. As verse 17 puts it, to come to our senses, to come to the end of ourselves, to get perspective on the reality of our situation, to stop taking God's grace for granted, to stop justifying ourselves, to accept that we cannot solve our problem on our own, but we need to surrender, to head back to him, to start walking towards him as he runs to us and accept his radical and costly embrace, God's willingness to absorb in himself the pain and the penalty of what we have done to him and have been doing to each other. Do you think your situation is too big a mess for God to clean up? Too hard, too deep, too complicated? Do you think you've wandered too far away for God to find you? Uh, no way, no way. Maybe you have known Jesus for quite a while, but other things have taken over since. This parable screams at us that God is waiting for us right up till now. Why keep him waiting any longer? Let me encourage you to reach out to someone who follows Jesus today, this week. You could text the number on the screen right now. You could contact us through our website or phone our office uh, during the week. We will run to you. God sees you and has already started running to you as if you were the only sheep 
the only coin, the only one lost. That's how important you, yes, you are to him. Get ready to be bowled over by his embrace and I'll see you at the party.